Hello and welcome to The Price of Music, the show that looks at the money behind the music industry with me, Steve Lamack, and Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge. Uh, Stuart, how are you? What, what have you been listening to this week, Stuart? I've been listening to, well, I've been trying that that Spotify daylist thing, actually. It's gone viral on the internet, where it kind of gives you a random thing based on listening. It gives you like, you're obviously sadcore indie Tuesday morning and that sort of thing. So I've been doing that and kind of hearing some weird stuff. Uh, well, that that, yeah. that leads us rather nicely, doesn't it, into our first story this week, uh, which is that Spotify's latest financial results are out. And there's, well, there's some interesting stats to consider. Firstly, the number of paying subscribers they have. Uh, what's the total figure? Where have they reached now? Yeah, so they've... Um... They ended last, this is the financial results for the last quarter of last year. So end of 2023. And there's 602 million listeners, which is up from 489 million a year ago. So they've added 113 million listeners in a year, which is you know a lot. Uh, and of those, um, 236 million people are now paying for Spotify. And that's up around 30 million, 31 million from a year ago. So kind of very good growth in that sense. Like Spotify keeps on getting bigger getting more popular. And a lot of that popularity is coming from places like Latin America and India and some of the newer places they've launched. So not just kind of the big music markets like the US and the UK and so on. And do we know, how does that compare to the major competitors? Are they ahead of people like Apple Music? Yeah, it's it's the biggest subscription streaming service in the world. So YouTube recently said it had 100 million subscribers for comparison's sake. and Spotify has 236 million. Uh, so they're bigger than Apple Music. Um, Spotify has said it reckons it's about 20%, so a fifth of all the recordings royalties in the world. So it's about a fifth of the, mu- the recorded music industry's kind of money, uh, essentially. Uh, and the other thing you can do with its figures is, um, so it paid out $9 billion, which is kind of about seven, just over 7 billion quid. So I tried to convert it into the King Sterling, as you have to. Um and that's around 63% of its revenues. So that's how much it pays out of what it makes. It's, it's sort of n- not far off two thirds. Um, so out of every £10 Spotify makes, around £6.30 goes to the music industry. And so $9 billion. So $9 billion, so nine billion is how, what are we comparing it to? So how much is that as a proportion of, you know, the whole music industry? How much are Spotify driving the music industry at the moment with their uh, nine nine billion or 6.3 million? Yeah, well, it's one of those things that's kind of awkward because Spotify is a public company. It has to declare all these numbers, whereas its main competitors, Apple Music, YouTube Music and Amazon Music, they don't have to kind of announce their numbers in the same way. So you, you don't really have the comparisons. But... Yeah, in 2021, which is the last year we have all the figures for, Spotify was around 18%, one-eighth of all the payments to labels and publishers and collecting societies. Uh, and as I said, it's kind of about 20% of recording stuff. So it's about a fifth of the industry. And the rest is the other streaming services, uh, physical music sales, which are rising again, uh, and download sales. So yeah, it's, it's the biggest individual player, but it's still only around a fifth of the total. And are there any other headlines, uh, anything else we can read into these results to tell us how Spotify are doing? They're obviously, as you say, still growing, uh, but is there anything else we can read into this? Will they be happy with this? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's always there's an ongoing conversation about whether Spotify is profitable or not. And you know, the big thing people like to say is, well, it's not. It's always made big losses in its history. Um, weirdly, it did actually make an, oper- an operating profit in the third quarter of last year. So it is sometimes profitable now, 
But then it laid a bunch of people off, made some cuts, and the kind of costs of doing that, the kind of redundancy costs and so on, pushed it back into a little a loss in Q4. So it's in a way, it's it's like a lot of tech firms at the moment. It's 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 growing and its revenues are going up, but it's also laying people off and sort of talking about having overexpanded during lockdowns and and there's this word that's kind of going around in Silicon Valley circles, which is like efficiency. Like Mark Zuckerberg saying it a lot, Spotify is saying it a lot. This idea of like, we've got to be efficient, which kind of means we overexpanded. We've got some bloat. We've, we've kind of got some stuff we don't think we need to invest in anymore. So it's going through that. So yeah, a lot of the numbers are going up. But at the same time, it's having this moment of stepping back and kind of saying, right, well, that thing isn't working. So we're going to stop doing that. This thing over here, we're going to change. Uh, so it's almost having like a, 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 a navel gazing is the wrong word, I suppose. It's kind of having about of soul searching about, okay, what's working? What do we need to change? Right. We have had, by the way, and thank you very much to everyone who's been in touch with questions for us and suggested topics we could cover. Uh, the workings of Spotify is right at the top of that list. So uh, next week, I think yeah, we will, as promised a fortnight ago, uh, we will attempt to well try and drill a little deeper into Spotify and also attempt to explain just how Spotify shares out those uh, royalties, amongst other things. Uh, we'll do that next week. But they're not the only uh, people who have been announcing their figures this week. It's not just the streaming services. Warner Music Group have announced an increase in revenues, although there's a pretty savage kickback uh, here once again, following on what, from what you were just saying about Spotify, because to accompany the news of uh, the increased revenue, they are also going to be laying off more staff, I think. Yeah, it's that strange dynamic of announcing, yeah, everything's going up, we're doing really well, we're accelerating our growth, but by the way, we're getting rid of a bunch of people. Um, so yeah, so this is Warner Music Group, who are the kind of the third biggest of the three major labels. Um, and yeah, their revenues are up. Like I think it's up 17% for recorded music and because they have a publishing division as well, that's even more, that's up 22%. So kind of everything is growing, streaming is fueling growth. Um, but alongside that, yeah, I think 10% of staff are going to be laid off, which is around 600 people um, sort of worldwide. And that comes after another 270 people were laid off last March. So again, it's one of those stories of, although some of the good numbers are going up, they're saying we've got to be more efficient. We've got to be kind of, you know, figuring out where we invest and, and that's going to involve some job losses. And is this, what do we read into this? Are they trying to future-proof themselves in some way? Is this a preemptive round of uh, redundancies, knowing that the music industry is going to change or the way a music company uh, will work is going to change. Is that partly behind this? I think so, yeah, it's definitely. I mean, there is that. I mean, they mentioned the same, that efficiency word, which is kind of this term. If, if your company starts talking about efficiency, <laughs> I think it's when you start worrying now because it's it's kind of a, a buzzword for layoffs. But yeah, I mean, it's talking about like freeing up funds is the way the CEO described it, to invest in different parts of music and tech. So it's kind of about shifting how and where they're spending money. So some of the things that happen, I mean, that they're, they're selling some of that. They had these editorial websites. So they kind of bought this, these sites, Up Rocks and Hip Hop DX. So they kind of got into the music journalism game. And now they're going, actually, that's not really what we should be doing. So we're going to sell those. They're shutting down one of their podcast brands as a social media division. So they're kind of looking at some things and saying, these aren't core to what we want to do going forward. But they mentioned this, like, there's this phrase, high growth geographies and vibrant genres which basically means they want to kind of spend more money on buying companies, opening offices in places like Africa, India, Latin America, the, the kind of new, the new exciting countries for the music industry. 
and what they're sort of saying is, well, we want to invest over there. And so we think we need less over here, which is it's kind of harsh if you're one of the people over here, like who might be losing your job, obviously. Um, but yeah, so that's a, the story is like a, a position of strength that are doing well, but they want to reinvest is, is what the message coming out is. And the increase in revenues, is that because they've had a, a good year musically? Did they have, were there any particular artists who were driving that or did they, did they just have a certain amount of success across the board? Or was there a big album or albums for them which has driven this? Yeah, well, they've got some big eyes. Like they had Ed Sheeran had a new album out, um, Bruno Mars. They mentioned Zach Bryan in the US, but they also had the Barbie soundtrack. And that was one of the big things for Warner last year was the Barbie soundtrack. So even the Barbie effect is now spreading into major label results. Um, and kind of interesting, they mentioned in their in the results that um, they renewed their licensing deal with TikTok last year. Uh, and that's one of the reasons they've had some of the growth in, in their revenues too. So where we, we talked last week about Universal Music Group and TikTok having an almighty falling out, Warner Music was kind of maybe subtly turning a knife bit and saying, well, we, we signed a deal with them and we're doing really well from it. So yeah, so TikTok... Barbie and Ed Sheeran, the kind of the, the, the holy trinity of uh, revenue generators. That's the foundation, is it, of their success? Because you do think this is the, th- I mean, all parts of the industry, you know, there are ebbs and flows depending on well, who's around and who's got a big record out. So, you, although they've obviously had, you know, a good year, you never quite know what the following year is going to be. And I think that's why at times you hear rumors of people in A&R departments getting the word from above saying, can you can you just har- hurry this band along? Because we really need a hit in Q3. Otherwise, our figures are going to be down. And that's how it works, isn't it? Was it? I think it was it, when EMI was the fourth major label. And it was, I think it was Coldplay. There was like a Coldplay album that got delayed. And there were whole calls with a financial analyst about there with EMI saying, yes, the Coldplay album has slipped to Q3 and everyone, everyone waving their hands in the air in terror, which it's one of those things, isn't it? It's like, if you're an artist and your album's not ready, you kind of need to carry on working on it. And then if you're a big public company, you're sitting there. I mean, to be fair, I, I, I can't imagine they would really make someone release an album that was bad. Like that would be counterproductive. You'd hope it's not either, but you know, it must be nervous when you kind of, if you're, if you're the kind of the, the, the person counting the beans and someone goes, yeah, uh, Ed Sheeran's not feeling very inspired. He might need another couple of months. And you yeah, be like, can you no. imagine a, ru- a run on the market because Ed Sheeran's publicly said he's got writer's block. Um, <laughs> actually, this, again, this leads segues rather nicely into the next story for this week, talking of Warners. Now, this is interesting. Megan the Stallion uh, split from a label last year and has now struck up this new agreement with Warners, uh, which will see her release music through her own company, Hot Girl Productions. And the interesting point here is that she's going to be keeping the masters and the publishing rights uh, in the process of doing this. So Warner's becomes, Warner will help with distribution. So they're almost a distribution company. And this is, I mean, the reason this is interesting is because this is not how the music industry traditionally works, is it? Well, that's it. And all the stuff we've talked about the streaming kind of recently, a lot of it has come down to, yeah, artists don't own their, their recordings rights you know and they don't but yeah so this is it's, it, it was an interesting press release because the title was literally something like megan the stallion and warner music group announce um an image agreement to enable her to maintain independence so it's a kind of press release from warner music group saying here we're helping someone stay independent but yeah so she's going to release her music she'll have full creative control which again has been one of those stories that reoccurs occasionally when a label tells an artist you know you can't release this or do this 
Um, she's going to own her rights. And yeah, she's using Warner for distribution, marketing, I think, other things. So she'll be using its kind of its bigness to kind of market her music around the world. Um, but it's kind of interesting because you're right, it's not how it traditionally works. But I was thinking back, and I, I, I may get it wrong, but I think it was Cooking Vinyl in the 1990s that first started shouting about this idea of artist services deals, where the artists own the rights, but the, the label just did the stuff with them as a partner. And other independent labels did it. And then, and then in, I think in 2018, uh, Taylor Swift signed with Universal Music Group just after she fell out with her last label and they sold her rights. And at the time, she said what was exciting about Universal Music was that she would own her master recordings that she made from now on. So it's kind of a, it's a change that's been kind of slowly happening. It started in the independent world and then Universal did this with Taylor Swift. And I think in this case, it's about big artists coming to the end of their deal and going, well, I could do all this myself. Like in theory, they could do everything themselves. I don't think a lot of them want to because if you're an artist, you don't want to, do you want to be handling your marketing in Southeast Asia? Do you want to be handling distribution with streaming services in Latin America? Like there are things that labels are really good at doing, but you've got that leverage to go in and say, well, I could do it myself, but I'm prepared to work with you, but I'd like to keep my rights. So what kind of a partnership deal can we do? And I think Megan Thee Stallion is a good example of the kind of artist that can do that now. And I think we're going to see more of it. And, and to go back to what you said earlier, I think major labels are looking at this and saying, well, we kind of see this this wind blowing and we've got to make sure we're, we can kind of shift to be their partner in that sense, rather than having a business that's purely based on, we assume we'll own the rights and we assume we'll do all the other things. So it's kind of like a, she's not really, the, she's not quite the canary because it's happened before, but I think we're going to see more of these examples. And this was quite a high profile one. You're right. What was it called? It was called Label Services, I think. And that yeah. seemed that seemed to be very popular for a time. And I haven't heard of it so much recently, but maybe maybe it's going to come back. Because the I suppose if you're an artist, I mean you want to have the clout of uh, a major firm in some way to make sure that, you know, you have a seat at the at the top of the streaming service table. But you don't necessarily need them for many other things. But you do need a bit of weight behind you. And as you say, who wants to who wants to spend all their creative time instead worrying about how you're going to market a record? Leave it to somebody else to do some of that work. Yeah, and I think like the thing about I mean, I always get a bit like annoyed with major labels. They're dead, and, and every few years something happens, and everyone goes, "Oh, labels are dead. No one needs a label." Like it was Kickstarter at one point. It was NFTs at another point. But within the major labels, there are some super smart people um, who are trying to figure out the new technologies, trying to figure out the deals. Like there is, there's a really, there's a lot that they do that for an artist of the caliber of a Taylor Swift and Megan Thee Stallion, someone who is globally popular, there's a lot of reasons to work with them. But it, it is about, I think, partnerships. Um, and you're seeing it with someone like Beyonce, who could absolutely do all this herself. And she has a company that runs her business. But she works with with um, Sony and, you know, she, she sees the value in having that partner. So I think we are going to be talking less about artists being signed to labels and more about artists being partners with them. And they're kind of licensing partners, but they could do all, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. I think it's 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 not about not needing a label. It's about, well, what do you need them for and how do you figure out the economics? Of it's, that? An, it's another subtle shift in power, though, isn't it? From from the label to the uh, to the artist, this uh, to follow that Megan the Stallion. Here's something I've been looking forward to. Uh, this is a story about Megs, 
Megs. You know, you know, Stuart, I was uh, appointed uh, chair of um, the live, uh, well, the trade body, which is called Live, at the back end of last year. And I, and I received, I got the phone call saying I'd got through the interview and um, congratulations. And then and the punchline was, by the way, your first board meeting is next Thursday. And I went and I went along. And I mean, I'd, you know, I know quite a lot about live music as a fan, but it turns out I've had to do you know, a lot of very quick learning about the actual workings of the live music industry, including, so I've sat in this first board meeting uh, and there was a discussion about uh, how much more expensive and more difficult it is for a lot of artists to tour Europe, particularly post-Brexit. But someone said, oh, well, there's always Megs. And I was thinking, Megs? What's Megs? And it kept coming up, oh, Megs. I sat there, you know, nodding sagely, go, oh, yeah, absolutely, Megs. No, I, no idea. Obviously, since then, I've done a crash course in industry acronyms in the past three months. So, Megs is the Music Export Growth Scheme, which supports artists who want to tour abroad. And uh, last week, the government announced uh, more funding for Megs, another round of Megs funding. Well, this is why Zoom meetings are so good, because you can Google things and then, <laughs> oh, yes, Megs. I know exactly what Megs is and read the Wikipedia app. But yeah, so this is one of the good things, like historic one, the, one the, amidst all the arguments in the British music industry about who owns what and why, Megs has been one of the kind of bright points that everyone likes, because it, it launched in 2014. And yeah, it's about British artists who've got potential to grow abroad, and it gives them grants, whether it's like touring or playing like showcases and things like South by Southwest and festivals and even stuff like social media and publicity and kind of helping them to grow their audiences. So, And it's kind of for small to medium sized companies who are working with artists. So it's kind of artists who are like diverge, developing, emerging on the app. And it's, yeah, it's invested more than six million quid in that in that 10 years. And it's artists like uh, Dave and Self-Esteem and Jungle and Young Fathers and um, Bicep and Wolf Alice so some really kind of some artists who've really gone on to do really well um, and the BPI the labels body which kind of is involved in it has this number that it quotes saying I think for every pound invested in the scheme it's it's put 14 pounds back into the UK economy in terms of those and yeah and this new round is I was surprised some bands some, some artists who who, are, who you think of as quite big so Blossoms are getting some funding uh, Black Country, New Road, Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes, Nova Twins, Porridge, like a lot of a lot of artists who kind of are known here, but they're now seeing a chance to kind of do stuff abroad. Um, so it's kind of a good news story, like a government announcement that was kind of we're giving some money to some artists who are doing well for themselves. So in the, on the face of it, entirely positive. And how um, how much money is? Am I right in saying it's something? It's up to fifty thousand pounds. Is it somewhere around there? I think that's the sort of figure you can apply for the, a ceiling of 50 grand, or you can just go to them and say, we need £20,000 essentially as tour support, or uh, we need £20,000 to cover all our visa costs to go to America and all the things that we'll, you know, spend money on there. Um, so it's that's about the that's about the right figure. Yeah, so uh, from from five thousand up to fifty thousand, uh, and yeah, and I think it's not one of those we say we're, we're quite popular. Can we have some money? You know, like you say, it's kind of we want to do this. It will cost this much. We've got this plan. So it's it's an application process. And who who decides then? Because someone eventually has to say yes or no, I suppose. Because I, I imagine this is oversubscribed all the time. This scheme. So how is the who shares the money out? Who who's got the the final say? 
Yeah, so it's it's a it's a government scheme, and the BPI is involved, and there's um, an independent panel of people who who sift through the applications and select it. So yeah, it's kind of there's a there's a there's a, there's a kind of a, a judging process or an assessment process there that's independent of of both of those right. things. Okay, there's an offshoot though from this story, which um, broke about two days after the announcement of this new round of funding, uh, and has been picked up by quite a lot of press outlets over the past few days because they well it's this is about someone who isn't on the list of recipients but reportedly was yeah so this is this 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 group from um, belfast called kneecap so they're a rap group they've been on tv quite a bit recently haven't they? they've been getting some publicity um so they they're strong supporters of a united island and that's something that's in their lyrics and they've talked about in their interviews and they've done the odd publicity thing that's caused controversy around it too so they've kind of as they've risen they've also kind of caused a lot of discussion I guess is the way to put it, uh, usually. Um, but in terms of their growth and profile, they're exactly the kind of artists that Megs was created to support in terms of where they are in their career. Um, and so, yeah, the, the story is they were on the list this time to receive funding, and then they weren't on the list because the government declined them. Um, and the interesting is we the BPI actually made a statement about this. And the BPI, as a labels body, in the middle of a lot of fights, it's quite naturally cautious. It doesn't tend to poke things with sticks to kind of cause... But it actually said, yeah, this was the government's decision alone to decline the application. So it kind of gave a statement saying, yeah, ask them why they didn't let it through. And then as a spokesperson for Kemi Badnock, who is the business and trade secretary, and actually my local MP, interestingly, um, and it began, we fully support freedom of speech, but, <laughs> which which as red flags go in a, in a statement, is not a good thing. Um, and she said, it's hardly surprising we don't want to hand out UK taxpayers' money to people that oppose the United Kingdom itself, which is, if you take it to its extreme, I mean, does that apply to any artist who's got Republican views in Ireland or anyone who supports the SNP in Scotland? And literally kneecap themselves are UK taxpayers, I'm assuming, because they're, you know. So it's kind of a, a shame, really, because Megs is something that people have generally seen. This is brilliant. How, how have we disagree on other things? This has this helped a lot of artists. But now it's kind of had this political story happen. And I think the BPI is saying we need to have a talk before the next round to figure out what we do in the future if this happens again, where there's kind of an artist whose views. And, and, and kneecap are going to appeal against this, aren't they? Or, or they are threatening some sort of retaliatory action? I think they're threatening legal action, which is, um, yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, you know, the, the way things go, Meg's has a different application rounds and there'll be another application round and who knows there'll be one after the next general election maybe a different minister a different government in power who knows but yeah they're they're, they're cross about it and it is it's a shame i think one one of the few uncontroversially good things in the british music industry <laughs> has now become controversial because of a, a a a discussion about free speech and whether someone can be funded because they don't agree with their views. So it's a shame. But um I'd love to know who flagged this because I can't imagine many people in government have heard of kneecap. So some somewhere along the line, someone must have I mean unless uh, unless the Department of Business and Trade have got their finger on the pulse more than we've imagined, um someone's got to have said, hang on a second to somebody i'd love to know who yeah. that was to be uh, fair we, if you were trying to if you're trying to go under the radar with your views with your views you may not call yourself kneecap um well they've talked about that about but yeah i think it's um i don't know it's it's it's, it's kind of it was headlines two days afterwards it's died down now but i think if the group do take legal action we're going to see what happens and see find out more of the kind of gossip 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, we'll finish this week's episode by answering another listener question. Lots of you have been in touch. Uh, So thank you for all the questions that uh, have been sent in so far. We will answer all of them as soon as we can this week. A question from Jamie Parkins, who says... We know Oasis won the, in inverted commas, the war in regards to Blur, uh, but who is the most successful songwriter slash artist, Noel Gallagher or Damon Albarn, in terms of album sales, single sales, awards, etc.? Well, we haven't touched on awards, Jamie, but we have looked into the stats. So, drum roll, this is how they square up, Stuart. So the clear winner for album sales is Noel Gallagher. So Oasis have sold uh, 41 million albums. Um, Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds have sold uh, a million and a half albums. And Oasis have got 20.6 million monthly listens on Spotify compared to Blur's 11.6 million. So in terms of albums, Noel is the winner. But in terms of streaming, interestingly, the biggest group from either of them is Gorillaz, who have 22.3 million monthly listens on Spotify. So arguably in the streaming era... It's kind of Damon Albarn who's sort of got his nose in front. So, so that's co- gorillas compared to what a blur. What's Blur's streaming stats? Blur, I've got eleven point six million monthly. Yeah, so half, nearly half of gorillas, um, which is kind of makes sense because gorillas is, I would say, probably bigger globally, um, and also gorillas is. I think Britpop is has got a certain level of popularity on streaming. But Gorillaz is kind of like a multi-genre. So, yeah, it's not entirely surprising. Because it does, you're right. I think it's, um, I think it represents the fact, because Blur, Blur never really had any meaningful success in America. I don't think they even properly had a hit. I mean, famously, uh, one of their tours, they came back miserable and broke, didn't they, to find that grunge had taken over the music press at the start of the 90s over here, and they were completely out of step pre-Britpop but even their even the Britpop trilogy didn't really do out for them in the state I don't think they probably had a hit until until song two which ended up being used quite a lot in sports stadiums didn't it across the states but whereas um gorillas seem to have embraced uh the pop uh landscape or you know a more central in the pop landscape in more territories and they've got guests as well. So when you've got guests on your things, it, the way stream works is, you know, if you're if you have a, a lot of guest artists, you appear in the recommendations for their fans. So that's good. But I, I actually went down a rabbit hole. I, I was like, what about TikTok? I want a proper Gen Z measurement of popularity here. And on TikTok, Oasis have got 381,000 followers and Blur have got 160,000. So Oasis kind of win there. But what's really funny is when you go, when I was doing this, 
you go to someone's TikTok profile, a band, and you can tap on this button that shows you the sounds, the kind of music they have on there that's available to use. And if you scroll right down there, you can see how, how many times each song has been used in a video on TikTok. So I went right to the bottom of both to find out well, which ones haven't been used much. <laughs> okay, so which Blur and Oasis songs have been used in only a one video on TikTok? Um, for Oasis, it was, and th these are not main tracks, they're kind of live recordings remixes. Okay, I was going to try and guess, but by the look on your face, this <laughs> it might not be the easiest song to identify. I think you might have to put us out of our misery. What's what's bottom of the pops when it comes to uh, Blur and Oasis on TikTok? Okay, so Oasis, I Am The Walrus, live at the Glasgow Cat House, only used in one video on TikTok. And Blur, this is marvellous, Thurston Moore's remix of Essex Dogs has <laughs> been used in, which admittedly is quite hard to dance to, so I'm not surprised it's been used in one. But I kind of that's why I love some of these stats. You can see the big ones, but it's actually more fun to see, you know, what the tiny stats are. So in that sense, you know, they're both winners <laughs> in terms of having things. So now that's one of the fun things. Neither has been taken off. So, you know, now every listener can go and find the most obscure Blur Oasis song on TikTok and make a video with it. Excellent. Well, shall we say it's it's almost, well, everyone's, everyone's a winner then. Um, so Noel Gallagher, if you're talking about old-fashioned physical sales, and Damon Albarn, if we're talking about the, uh, the streaming era. And it's it's funny we're still having to choose, really, isn't it? Like, yeah. you know, I've been watching I've been watching those Top of the Pops reruns, and it's they've got to sort of 1995, and I'm just coming back, and I was a, just a fan then. I remember how thrilling it was for all of them being on, like, and then suddenly you had to pick a team. But I think most people, when it started, were just loved them both. So it's strange, you know. Here I am, however many years later, I'm not going to even remember how many years later, and we're still going. Which ones? Like, even when they die, I think people were saying which one was best, which one had the best death. They're always they're forever tied together. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Jamie. That was a great cre uh, question. And if you have one of your own, any inquiries, in fact, or anything you'd like to add to any of the stories uh, which we've covered, our email address is... Stuart, you've all, you've got the email address, have you? I have. I can bring it up in a panic when I need to. Uh, the Price of Music Podcast at gmail.com. That's the Price of Music Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much uh, for listening to this. If you have enjoyed the pod, please do subscribe to the show in your podcast app. And uh, if you fancy it, give us a review and a rating. We'd be most appreciative if you could. Uh, thank you very much uh, again, everybody. Say goodbye, Stuart. Goodbye. Ta ra.